If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 376 of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan and today I am joined by the legendary Spencer Kite himself and we're going to take a long walk through the UFC for the State of the UFC address. If you haven't listened to this before, stay tuned. Don't go, oh, this is not the normal podcast. I'm listening to this. this is a brilliant podcast. We're going to go through every division. We're going to talk about the top contenders. We're going to talk about the best up-and-comers. We're going to talk about uh, the champions and the, the guys just about for t- uh, to fight for the titles. And, you know, people and things and everything that don't usually get talked about. So this is not your same normal analysis podcast that we see all the time. This is going to be something a little bit different. And myself and Spencer are going to talk all about that. So stay tuned. Let us know what you think of it as well. But we must tell you before we get into all of that, that this episode is brought to you by our great friends over at Manscaped. They're the leaders in below the waist grooming and it's back to school time. And we want to make sure you pack the essentials. They have the best year yet. The Manscaped's fourth generation performance package is just that be ready for whatever is in your daily schedule this year i know a lot of people are heading off to college now so it'll be absolutely great it's the perfect package for your package and includes the brand new lawnmower 4.0 fellas go for the valedictorian of ball trimming and join valedictorian together and join the six million men worldwide who trust manscaped by going to manscaped.com and using that crowd crowd code severe mma you get 20 percent off and free shipping absolutely brilliant school is back and performance 4.0 is here to teach the boys a lesson on male hygiene inside you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 the weed whacker for your ear and nose hair trimming the crop preserver ball deodorant and the crop reviver toner as well also you get two free gifts you get the performance boxer briefs and the shed travel bag this package includes a brand new lawnmower 4.0 and will give you the confidence to do anything you desire new year new you might screw around on a tin smooth balls university this fall wait is, is, is that an actual thing? I don't think so. This four-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. It also allows you to shave your pencil down and customise your trim to additional garlands with sizes 1 to 4. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on and off switch, and can engage travel lock too. Gives you... Uh, the total ability to turn on the 4K LED spotlight and, you know, or put it off, whichever you want. Uh, we need it for more precise shades. Obviously, you can uh, turn it on. Did I mention the trimmer is waterproof too? Absolutely. So you can get in the shower or wherever you need it. Then we have the weed whacker to chop the worst weeds in um, up top in both your nose and 
ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses the 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose, ear, and hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Do you know what? That was a hard paragraph to read, and I did a fucking fantastic job of reading that, so fair play to me on that one. After trimming your pubes and cleaning your holes, show them they love what Manscaped's liquid formulations. The crop... Do you know what? I'm going to fuck this one up now, because I praise myself after it. Anyway, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and uh, the Crop Reviver Ball Toner are here to get you ready for class during the day and ready to party at night. Manscaped also threw in two free gifts, as I mentioned. The Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. One is a comfy front pack, for your balls and the other is a backpack for your goods so get 20% off and free shipping with that code SEVEREMA SEVEREMA S-E-V-E-R-E-M-M-A at manscaped.com that's 20% off and free shipping with code SEVEREMA at manscaped.com this year graduate with a degree in clean balls from Manscaped right let's get straight into it here as I uh, I'm joined by Spencer as I mentioned and we're going to go through all of the divisions, but we always start with something different. We always start with like, what, what do you, Spencer, is the state of the UFC today as we look at it here on uh, August 14th, possibly, I don't know, we're recording this like five days early, <laughs> but I'm not going to start like that today because we've kind of already started this because in last, for last week's preview show, we did like a bit of a heavyweight I would say an argument. I would say a robust discussion on heavyweights, but it wasn't just heavyweights. I think it was. I think it was like prospects, but some prospects you look at up and coming, which I think, and I think you would agree, that are probably going to reach a certain level. And my, for me, I kind of like can't invest in them massively unless they're say like Paddy Pimblet. I can invest massively in Paddy Pimblet, and I think he's only going to get to a certain level but when it's Sergei Spivak is obviously the example we used last week even though he had a very uh, well a good win I wouldn't say a very good win uh, I, I'm not investing in him that much because he's not a character that anyone's going to care about um, he'll get to a certain level and he'll stick at that certain level and we've probably seen him around the UFC for years but it's always going to be like that fight in the middle of a car that no one really cares about now you could give your point of view in a second my point of view on that is there are actually too many fighters right now to to do that with. They're like, you. I don't think I have the time, you have the time, anyone has the time to invest massively in every single fighter right now. Because in the UFC, if you look at it, there's never been a bigger turnover of fighters in the UFC. There's probably never been a bigger turnover of ranked fighters in terms of the lower ranked uh, of the top 15 fighters. And it's almost impossible. Like, it's impossible... Right now, to know who's fucking fighting for the title next. To know who's the next one online. This is what this podcast will hopefully uh, clear up. But to, to know who's like 7 to 15 in an ever-changing world is nigh-on impossible. And when you when you see a guy, and I know my, I might be wrong, you might be wrong, we all might be wrong, that you think will never progress past a certain place, it's very hard for me to like care that much about him. But you are someone who cares about everyone. I am someone that cares about everyone. And and as always, I start these by saying, I understand that I am a lunatic. I'm well aware of the fact that I am the freakish outlier in this very niche industry of ours. Like I, I get a hundred percent where you're coming from of like, great. Sergei Spivak is going to be at max, probably the sixth best heavyweight in the UFC, seventh best heavyweight in the UFC. He doesn't necessarily have the, athleticism to get in there and beat 
the best guys in the division. We've already seen that with Tom Aspinall, right? That fight was that fight was representative of why you exited the care about Sergey Spivak train. We get to here. Tom's a better athlete. He's got more upside. Fine. I'm still just that guy that, yeah, I want to see the little progressions. I want to see the, you know, he spent a year now in Las Vegas. What did the next two years of training at, at Extreme look like? How much further does he get? Even though I agree with you very much that there's there's absolutely a top side to it. There's there's a cap to where he's going. And I agree as well that like there's some people like Patty that perfect example, right? He's probably not going to be the UFC lightweight champion. He's probably not going to be a top 10 fighter in the lightweight. Like go look at the lightweight division. It's really hard to even be a top 15 fighter, but I'm still interested because he, he gets me interested. And so we talked, I think the other person we talked about on the preview show when we were sort of going through the Spivak thing was like Drew Dober the week before, right? He's probably not going to be a top 10 fighter in the lightweight division, but I'll be damned if I don't care about every single Drew Dober fight because they're entertaining and he's entertaining and he gets on the mic and he says, I turned down a bunch of boring fights. So please just keep giving me fun fights. So I get it. I I've always understood your position. I think I just want, you know, one or two people on the Island with me over here that are like, no, I still care. I still, I'm still paying attention to everybody because, you know, it, it gets lonely being the only person giving a shit. So I get you. I get you. Like, I used to be the only person giving a shit before as well. Yeah. Well, when it was easier to do that. When no one else cared about judging, you were like, how come yeah. nobody cares? And now everybody cares. And you're like, I, you know. Yeah. Come on, guys. No, I don't care anymore. <laughs> keep me out of keep me out of your shit. But uh yeah, it's it's interesting. Look, we need people like you, and that's why I'm always telling people to read your stuff and go on and and consume what you put out every week because there it is the fighter like I, I, I still think like one out we're, we're probably like we're probably missing we're probably not missing anything about nine out of ten. But there's that one out of ten fighter that we sh- that will you know, it, maybe it is Spivak who comes champion, maybe it is Drew Dober who comes champion. We you know, you need yeah. someone talking about them lads. And, and that's why, and I mean, I say it at the start of every year when I do my ridiculously exhaustive fighters to watch for the upcoming year, breaking it down by division. And it's like, most of these people aren't going to pop. Most of these folks aren't going to get to that apex level. But if one of them or two of them come along that you weren't paying attention to that have even just a great performance that then get you interested, then my mission is accomplished. Then the thing yeah. I wanted to do worked. And that's and what, so that's that's what that's we do with Irish is what it is. That's what we kind of do with the Irish fighters, I suppose. Right. I I always say it's like you know, this fighter is probably not going to become a top level UFC fighter, but they might at the same time. And showcase, I go, yeah, I showcase know. all of them. Yeah. And when one of them gets there, that, that's their part there. Of the job. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Right. Let's uh, we, we'll get into it. So we'll get into the heavyweight division uh, first of all, um, and it's very interesting. One guy I want to ask you about because to me. You know, we talked about Spivak. The guy I think who is the guy worth talking about, not and not that Spivak isn't worth talking about. Well, you know what I mean? And we're talking about as a possible top-level UFC fighter. He's actually fighting a UFC 278, and it's Alexander Romanov. I really like this guy. I think he's very good. And that's probably a weird way to start off this podcast, talking about fucking Alexander Romanov. But he's fighting Martin Tabora, a guy who has been that sort of perennial... Uh, let me see where he's ranked here at the moment. Number 11 ranked. Uh, Romanov is number 12. And 
you know, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about uh, Volkov and Rosenstruck being eight and nine, and it's the, the winner would be eight, and then the win- loser would be nine, and that's exactly where they are uh, right now. Although it was seven eight at the time, I think Pavlovich has, has kind of passed them by. Uh, Romov, I think, is the type of guy. If we're looking and we will look throughout the divisions at different guys who are up and coming and maybe at this sort of level, maybe the 12, 13 are just about to get into the ranks level. I think he's the sort of guy who could climb and climb and climb without people really even knowing it. Maybe Pavlovich is another one of those guys as well, but Romanov is, he's a, he's a guy to keep an eye on, but Tabor is a good fighter as well. It is a good test for him, isn't it? Yeah, Tabor is a perfect test for him. I mean, you say he's a guy that could climb and climb and climb without people noticing. He's 5-0 and in the UFC. And there are some people that still haven't noticed. Um, I like the fact that over the last couple of fights, he's really changed his body. He's he's tucked up a little bit as somebody that wishes he could tuck up a little bit. I appreciate what he's done. I think the style that he has is certainly different for the division and is a different wrinkle for people to deal with. Judo base, lots of takedowns, lots of wrestling, very good ground and pound, but also has sort of the you know, has studied at the Alexi Olenek school of weird submissions. So he'll get you with a forearm choke. He'll hit a scarf arm, scarf hold, try Like he'll just, he'll attack wild stuff. And I think Tabura is the perfect matchup to see if this is, we're ready to go forward and into that top 10 mix and into the Rosenstroik Volkov churn of the next guy you face, skipping over Chris Dawkins. Um but yeah, he's he's looked interesting. And when you go, I mean, he's undefeated, right? It's it's a thing I talk about all the time and, and you and I have talked about plenty. You don't go undefeated and continue beating fighters as you work your way up the ranks unless you're skilled, unless there's something there. You're not always getting in there with guys that you're completely better than or like or that have no business being in there with you. Now, he's dominated some folks that he, you know, probably were not necessarily had no business being in there with him, but were were tests that we expected him to pass. He's now at the stage of, okay, these are the difficult tests. Let's see how you handle them. And I cannot wait to see how he handles this one. Yeah, me neither. I think I think that'll be a good one. Um, we will look at the top of the heavyweight division in a second because I feel like if you replay our podcast we did probably like two months ago, uh, <laughs> you'll get the same chat as we're about to have. But elsewhere in that division, there are some interesting up-and-coming fights. Like, yeah, Jailton Almeida is another guy who has stood out to me in, you know, a continuously less standoutable um promotion but he's fighting Shamil Abdurahimov who's always a good test as well you know um, at UFC 279 so that's coming up Taito Vasa obviously is headlining uh, in UFC Paris against Seattle Gagne so that will be very interesting at uh, you know I got a fucking um, I got a C1 in honours French in my leaving cert so you know I'm basically qualified to commentate in that card uh, but that will that's probably the highest level fight that's being made at the moment you know, so you have Tanner Bowser and Nascimento as well. We just saw Spivak, obviously, Sakai. Uh, Jake Collier is fighting Charles uh, Barnett, which should be an interesting fight. And other than that, there isn't a whole lot. Um, you know, Pavlovich just fought Derek Lewis, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, and that was kind of ended weirdly, as did the Aspinall thing ended weirdly as well. So in a division where there was lots of lads, say, like the two I mentioned there, uh, and maybe you could try in Pavlovich as well, who's up to number five in the rankings at the moment. 
There's a lot of fighters who've kind of ruled themselves out almost of being the next guy, whether it's injury, whether it's a weird win. Uh, you know, with uh, Blades as well, a weird win in terms of because of the injury. And now we're left with a top, uh, you know, we're, we're left to Ivasa Gagne who's putting themselves to be the next guy after Stipe, Francis and John Jones. Let's tell us, Spencer, what's going to happen with Stipe, John Jones and Francis? How, how is it going to work out, do you reckon? I mean, it's the middle of August and we still don't know. And it drives me insane every day that goes by that we still don't know. And like, I get it. We've, we've discussed it at length, right? I understand all the sides of it. I get where Francis is coming from, John's position, Stipe's position. I understand. But as a consumer, as a fan, as somebody that wants to see these fights, I just want to see these. I just want to know what's happening because there's an odd man out situation. So we can get that, get someone else into the mix. If you're waiting to see what happens with Gon and Tuivasa, fine. I understand that a little bit. And the winner of that gets the odd man out or some, you know, like, because maybe you don't want to put Curtis Blades in there who's already lost to Nganu twice and is coming off the weird win over Tom. But I just, some kind of direction, right? Some kind of understanding of we're going to get the Francis Nganu thing figured out. He's going to fight John Jones. This is what we're going to do with Stipe Miocic. And away we go because the longer this draws out it feels very reminiscent to when connor had the featherweight title right just hanging out i'm gonna go do the lightweight thing that got sidetracked so i'm gonna fight nate a couple times then i'm still gonna do the lightweight thing and yeah i'm just not even gonna bother with and we just got this build-up of talent at the top of the division at least with that though we kind of knew what mcgregor was doing and uh, we had a pretty good sense we were pretty sure after he made weight for for 194 that he wasn't making Mm. 45 ever again he was just done whereas i'm pretty sure francis and still wants to fight and john jones wants to fight and all of that but we get into that situation where there's so many people with so limited options because those three biggest names or three biggest entities in the division aren't competing. I wonder is Francis still talking about leaving the UFC and still talking about his year out and still talking about boxing or has he, it seemed like there for a while he'd given up on that and that he was willing to fight John Jones, but like it looks like John Jones and Steve is going to happen. What's your sense of that? Like is I don't know. I mean, it, it, it does seem like John Jones and Stipe is going to happen. And I don't know if that's, you know, Francis necessarily because the other side of the, Hey, Francis come to boxing has just stopped. Right. Like it was great in the moment when Tyson Fury needed it to be a thing that he could be like, well, this is what I'm going to do and fight this guy and bring him into the ring and all of those things and make a show of it. Now that there's not that side of it, we're not really hear that much and is francis is is oddly enough is the heavyweight champion going to end up being the odd man out are they going to end up doing seems like another interim title where and maybe it's that his recovery isn't going as well as as well as expected or anything like that right we haven't had a lot of updates on that side of things that's the other part of this just give us some kind of information just give me some kind of update on where we're at whether that's being gone camp Jones has come out and, you know, tweeted very recently, I'm in a bulking phase. I'll continue to be in a bulking phase. His bulking phase is about as long as my bulking fucking phase. 
I mean, and Stipe just, you oh know, he just posts videos of himself doing yard work that his, his missus gives him shit about and stuff like that. So I want updates. I want to know where we're going because in addition to those fights, I want to know what's going to happen with the Gontuivasa winner, with Curtis Blades, with Tom Aspinall when he gets back, with these people that we've been talking about as on the way up, right? There, there reaches a point where nobody else has a way up because the top is stuck. Yeah. I w- like, I know you mentioned McGregor and Federer, I think, but it's even, I think, longer than that. We talked about it on a recent podcast, I think we did over on Shardog, that it's like, you know, it's just Aldo, Edgar, Ortega, Volkanovski, Holloway for the last fucking decade. And you don't want that happening at heavyweight, you know, you? because lads, the problem with heavyweight as well, right? You have someone like Cyril Gagne, who is better than almost everyone in that division. He'll win and win and win and win. But eventually, you know, he'll meet a fucking Pavlovich or someone like that or uh, or Spivak and they'll take him down and they'll beat him over five rounds. And you don't want that to happen. You know, you don't. But anyway, we heavyweight's just a mad division. We, we will, uh, we'll move on to one, sorry, two or five. Um, some of the upcoming fights there, we have Johnny Walker fighting Ian Kutilaba. Uh, Misha Serkinov is back Thiago Santos and Jamal Hill obviously just happened last weekend and other than that there really isn't much coming up and uh, you know we're, we're recording this as well before the card obviously the what's the Cruz and Vera card so if that has just happened if there's any fights we're mentioning you'll know the results before us obviously but you know we, we had a, a light heavyweight I suppose um, Ferrore a couple of weeks ago where we had Odzimir and we had Craig and we had Krilov and we had Gustafsson. Um, and it didn't really move it anywhere, I suppose, because we still have the top of the division looking where, the way it's looking with Yeri Prohachka looking like he's going to rematch against Glover Teixeira and possibly now it's going to be... Like, I think the funny thing in here is, right, the big fight, I think, for all of those guys, whether it's Rakic... Uh, Jamal Hill, Odzimir, even down as far as Krilov, maybe not down that far, is who's going to fight Blahovic? Because it feels like we know what's going to happen. Prohachka's going to uh, you know, fight Teixeira as well. He said it, Teixeira said it, Dana White has said it. When that happens, you know it's probably going to happen unless there's an injury or something weird happens. It's Blahovic is kind of clearly the next guy there, but I don't think he's going to get it without a win, and I don't think you're going to get it without beating him. So whoever gets that fight, it feels like that's almost the golden ticket rather than the, the title fight here. First of all, who do you think is going to get it? And what do you think of the division as a whole, I suppose? I think your boy Jamal Hill is going to get it. Yeah, let's do it. And it pains me to say that because my guy, Magomed Ankalaev, has won nine straight. And I, I need for him to get another step up and another opportunity but I think Jamal Hill coming off that performance against Thiago Santos, which was an uneven performance, but at the end of the day, he gets the finish. He gets the stoppage. He can get on the mic and say all the things he said. And, and he has that personality and charisma and, and a little bit of a draw to him that Uncle Iov certainly doesn't have. And so I think he's the one that's going to get that fight. I'll be interested to see. I'm pretty sure. Blahowitz will will just take the fight because that's who he is. I know he was looking for get back into that championship opportunity, but when the fight with Rockage ends the way that it does, it makes it a little difficult. Yuri has said he wants to fight Glover, as you said, and that seems like it's it's the direction we're heading. But I think it's interesting, right? The top of the division is more competitive and more 
interesting with a couple new guys than it's been in a long time. But then further down just feels like a whole lot of sameness where I struggle to identify that person that's coming up that I need to pay real close attention to as hang on. If this person gets two, three more wins, like I'm happy to see Tyson Pedro back. He's fighting in Salt Lake city at UFC 278, but like a win over Harry Hunsucker doesn't do anything for me. And, and Tyson Pedro's, you know, after having so many years off with injuries, he's got a long road back to things. Nick Negamurianu looked good a couple weeks ago, but he's sort of not stepped up. The one guy that, that does intrigue me is Dustin Jacoby, who's on a nice run of success here since coming back. But he's also a 34-year-old veteran and kind of fits with that. We kind of have an idea of where he caps out in terms of the overall progression of things. Like I don't necessarily see him moving forward into the top five. And so it feels like, the title picture and the title chase is really compelling and really interesting. And we need to take the time afterwards. This is where we need to invest and see if we can find somebody that gets two or three good wins that becomes that next Jamal Hill or becomes that next Ankalaev to kind of work forward and, and replace those guys now that they're yeah. in the title picture. It feels like Jama Halil is the, that kind of guy you just described, but has probably moved on from that. As we record right now, he's ranked number 10. But it felt like the Paul Craig loss has kind of held him back in the rankings because he has to be behind Paul Craig because he lost him. I know that makes sense to people, and people always go mad. It's like, oh, he just lost to this guy. How is he right in front of him? You know, if you go out and fucking beat Real Madrid once, should you be ranked as a higher club than Real Madrid? It's a, that... It, it makes sense, but it makes no sense. It's one of those things in the rank. But anyway, forget about the rankings. Hill is... He's so young in his career still. And I know yourself and Harry maybe weren't, uh, you know, mad about his performance last weekend. Um, I actually think it's the sort of performance that you need at that stage of your career to win against a tough matchup for what you do maybe not performing your mess, maybe not everything going your way and with the other guy stepping up more than he has in the last couple of years and still winning it. Like, it's... It, I, I'm not to give myself a pat in the back or anything, but I predicted that fight exactly like it was going to go. You know, I said it'd be a late finish, maybe go to decision and, you know, it was he was like minus 190 to finish it in the first round and I just couldn't believe that because you... And, you know, the reason I think it was that, because he knocked out Johnny Walker in a round, Johnny Walker win five rounds with Thiago Santos, and there was this weird MMA match that just made no sense. It's horses for courses. Johnny Walker is an outlier of a fighter as well, and you can't be going uh, offending with him. Um, <clears throat> the fact he was able to get through that sort, that sort of fight, that sort of test, was actually great, no matter how he did it. Blahovic is another upgrade again. Uh, current Blahovic anyway. did, uh, I, you've better remember me has Thiago Santos beaten Blahovic or is that uh, yes he has yeah you know, I know I, that was in the cockles of my mind somewhere I want to say it? like Poland or yeah somewhere like that they Blahovic, fought anyway. the, but not I, the Czech Republic because I don't think they've been to the Czech no. Republic but maybe Prague maybe somewhere like that I think Current Blahovic is a tougher test as we saw you know as Izzy noticed and a lot of people have, have seen uh Dan Sanderson, I think that's a step up. And if Jamahal Hill wins that, he will, you know, he'll obviously be fighting for a title. And you know what? It's, as someone who's probably his biggest fan and who has 
said he will be um, the champion this year, even after the Paul Craig loss, I was still sticking by him. I think I might be a little bit too soon even. He, he probably, like... He's the type of guy who probably needed an Anthony Smith fight before he got the Blahovich fight, you know? He And maybe he'll have to do that. Maybe the best thing maybe that could happen for him is if Rakic or Ankeliyev got that Blahovich fight. It might be a saving grace for him. Because if he goes in there, let's say he fights a Dominic Reyes or someone like that, or, you know, Odzumir or someone, and, and beats a guy like that, and then fights a Blahovich or, you know, whoever was the winner of that fight. I think that would benefit him more. I think of every fight is a good fight for Jamal Hill now before he fights for a title. And uh, it's interesting because he is the, the, the guy we are kind of staking our claims on at 205. So it's uh, so, interesting. Go on. So, so Santos beat Jan Blachowicz in Prague in February 2019. I don't know why I remember these details. I actually think the fight for Jamal Hill is, is Magomed Ankalaev. I think that's really the fight that makes the most sense because they each need to beat that kind of fighter, right? Ankalaev needs to beat somebody that's going to come forward and try to exploit all those little holes that we saw in the fight with Anthony Smith, where he still gets the win, but didn't look great. And Jamal Hill needs to beat the guy that's going to come forward technically and has that polished game and can do everything. And is a little better wrestler overall than Tiago Santos and isn't necessarily like one of the great things about Jamal Hill's performance against Tiago Santos. And Harry talked about this on the takeaways at length was the get up game, right? He didn't accept bottom. He didn't spend any time sitting there in a closed guard or any of that stuff. It was great. I'm on the ground. Let me get a post. Let me get my feet out. Let me get my hips under me. Let me get up. Let me get on the wall. Let me get up from being on the ground. That's probably a little more difficult against Magomed Ankalaev. So let me see you do it. The problem is, then what do you do with Blahowitz? Then what do you do with the former champion who's sitting there like, I don't want to wait too long and there's not really a good option because Rakic is hurt. Yeah. And then you go down beyond that. I mean, does he maybe get a Paul Craig? Does he maybe get, you know, Uzdemir again? Does he get Nikita Krilov again? Like, this is where we get into the trouble with light heavyweight where it gets real thin real quick and i believe there is like european card coming up as well that someone like a blahovich you know might might headline so we'll we'll uh yeah we'll see how blahovich and ryan span just to just to see (laughs) you could do did you know what if you wanted him to fight ankle live you could do the you could do the Paul Craig Jamal Hill rematch as well. I know maybe you yeah. know, Paul Craig just came off a loss, but the fact that he is beating him, I'm sure Hill would like that one yep. back. So that's a thing you could do as well. Anyway, Absolutely. let's move on to my favorite division, Middleweight. Um you know, there are some fights coming up here. Robert Whitaker is fighting Marvin Vittori in UFC Paris, apparently. And shout out to Zane Simon for this list. I hope that's right, Spitzer. The look at your face there makes me think it's not right, but <laughs> Hopefully it is. Is that happening? Uh, maybe. Brendan Allen, Chris. No, I think, it, I think it's right. It's just one of those ones where it's, we talk all the time about this division of like the Robert Whitaker meat grinder, where literally everyone has to go through Robert Whitaker. And it's like, no one Robert Whitaker has established himself <laughs> as the silver medalist in this division. And if you have any aspirations of doing anything, you must beat this man. Yeah, he's like the Daniel Cormier of middleweight now, really, isn't he? You know, that, that silver medalist. But they're, 
there are some you know good fights coming up. We have Paulo Costa's fighting Luke Rockhold as well. That should be funny shit, to be honest. Uh, although Luke Rockhold will probably lose that now because he's a thousand years old. Um, Anthony Hernandez is fighting Mark Andre Barrio, Jamie Pickett, Dennis Tulalin, uh, and some other lads as well. Uh, Imavov, I stream on in the UFC now. Maybe he's still a guy kind of up and coming there. Uh, Chidi Njikowani is back as well, fighting Gregory Rodriguez, and a few other fights around as well there. Um, is there anything kind of up and coming that you're looking at in that division and thinking... And we will get to obviously the top of divisions. Like I, I look at a guy like uh, Dricky's Duplessis, and he'd massive issues in his last fight. But at middleweight, you know, he's probably a prospect. Even Chidi Njikowani, who has been around for a long time, is probably a prospect in that division. And you know, you have obviously Andrea Muniz, who didn't have the greatest performance the last time out, but won dominantly with positions more than anything else. He kind of exposed himself as kind of maybe not the real deal-ish, although I don't think do we have a real deal-ish even in that division so, is there anything on the way up? Is there anything coming there? I, like, I'm looking through Zane Simon's great list here and I just, I'm not seeing it what do you think? I mean, Imavov is the guy for me that I'm looking at in the immediate I, I don't necessarily like the fact that he's matched up with Joaquin Buckley. Like, I get, I'm happy he's fighting in Paris. I'm happy he's getting a hometown fight. He trains in Paris at MMA Factory. So I'm happy he's getting that opportunity. But Joaquin Buckley just feels like a, a strange fight to me, given some of the assignments that he had been matched up for. Like, he was supposed to fight Kelvin Gastelum earlier this year. And so to go from maybe facing a guy that was involved in one of the better title fights in middleweight his recent middleweight history to facing Joaquin Buckley, who, you know, has had some highlights, but also feels like a somewhat limited, somewhat capped guy is strange to me, but I think he is someone that has upward potential. I mean, Muniz, as you said, the fight with Uriah Hall wasn't, wasn't great. It wasn't kind of what we were expecting. I don't think, but he's still five and zero in the UFC and Super dangerous when he gets his hands on you. Um, Brendan Allen is always going to be interesting to me because it feels like feels like he's one of those guys that if he's on, if he's locked in correctly, he can be he can be absolutely great. He's still relatively young for all the experience he has, both overall and in the UFC. But there's also been those moments where he wasn't locked in and he got absolutely bombed on. And so outside of that, it starts getting tough because, as you said, we're, we're looking at a top of the division where Paulo Costa is number five and he's fighting Luke Rockhold coming back. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I don't need to see either of those guys. Fight. Look, I talked to Luke. He said all of the right things. That story will be coming out next week on UFC.com. Please check it out. All of the right things. I, I legitimately believe he has taken the correct steps to put himself in a position to come back and be as competitive as he would like, as he thinks he can be, but he's 37 at these, like at a certain point, all the years, all the injuries, all the everything take toll. And so if he goes out and has a great performance, grand, give him an opportunity, get him up there. Izzy needs, Izzy needs challengers. Fine. But it's sort of what we said with the like laughing about Robert Whitaker, Marvin Vittori, right? The upper tier of this division is a whole bunch of guys that have already been beaten by the champion 
once if not twice in the case of Robert Whitaker. And there's not really anybody at six, seven, eight that is inspiring you as the like, man, I can't wait to see this guy get their opportunity. Yeah, I like accidentally broke down the contender picture in this division without even knowing us. They're like dreaming it. Yeah. And that yeah. kind of says it all, I suppose. Like, Mooney's is that When is Duplessis is getting a shout out <laughs> as a like, yeah. maybe, maybe and you, it, know. It, you know, two more wins. Yeah, maybe he's in there. He absolutely could be, and that's the weird, the weird thing about it here. Like, it, I don't even think it'd take two. Let, let's say if Andre Mooney's, you know, he gets Derek Brunson next, which is, I think that fight could happen. He beats Derek Brunson, he could be fighting for a title because Vittori's not going to get a title shot if he beats Whitaker. Whitaker's not going to get a title shot if he beats Vittori. Costa's not going to get a title shot if he beats Rockhold. Now, as you said, maybe Rockhold will. You know, he's like the Misha Tate of middleweight if you want to put it that way. You know, where it's the name value, everyone knows him. He's never fought him before. He's never been around. And you're almost praying for the division that Rockwell wins that fight so he can. Now, Cost is a massively overrated. I don't even know if he's overrated. Not great fighter. So, Prime Rockwell, I think, destroys Costa. But is he... Like, he wasn't... He didn't look good his last two outings. And they were, it seems like they were like three years ago. So, hard to see him winning that. But Izzy versus... Look, Izzy versus Pereira just proves the point the two of us just made there. Like, he basically wins one fight against Sean Strickland with the worst game plan in the history of the sport. And he's in the title shot. You know, he fought the biggest jobber in the history of the sport before that. And uh, there's someone else in the middle. And now he's fighting for a fucking title just because they had fucking footboxed a few years ago. It's bizarre. Like, this was like, do you know what it reminds me of? When, when everyone used to say, like, oh, Conor McGregor needs to fight Joseph Duffy. And... Everyone thought, like, oh, that's a thing that could possibly happen. It's like, what are you talking about? McGregor's fighting fucking Chad Mendes, Jose Aldo. He's not going to be fighting Joseph Duffy unless Joseph Duffy becomes a top contender. It's like they would put it, you know, and Joseph Duffy fought fucking Dustin Poirier. So he actually probably had uh, a tougher road and could have got there. But Pereira's got there without having that tough road. He's fought some insaniac who happened to get his uh, way to the fucking number seven in the rankings. This, I don't know how, but... I mean, even, even higher than that prior to that fight, right? Yeah. He was probably up four or five. It's it's ridiculous how this fight's happening. Also, as well, can I, I want to ask you this question because you're a guy who like respects the fighters a lot. I respect the fighters as well. Don't get me wrong, but I'm I'm happy to shit in them more than you, more than you are at times. I can't trust Israel Adesanya to put on a fun fight anymore. Like I saw my guy Shaheen Al Chadi, who's another guy out of your mold, I'd say, who who loves things and is all positivity and stuff. And I'm I'm probably ninety five percent positivity. Don't get it wrong, but. And he was saying, like, uh, this is his most anticipated fight for the second half of the year. I'm like, I just want it to be good because Adesanya's in it. And I'm also like, Adesanya has not been good. He's been boring as shit against... Uh, look, if Adesanya was boring as shit against uh, uh, Shemaev, right? Or Colby Covington. Or if fucking Daniel Cormier cut weight and came down. I could absolutely understand it. No problem. If he fought some wrestler, you he's fighting fucking Jared Cannon here, who's, you know, not a wrestler. He's a fucking striker. He's shit against him. He's shit against... Uh, I, I I just think it's going to be more boring against Pereira than all of the other fights. Now, maybe I'm, I've been hurt too many times, but I just don't see this fight being amazing unless Pereira comes in there and knocks him out with a big fucking shot but I who, who was it said was it somebody said was it Harry or you, that uh, it was Harry I think that he expects Izzy to go in there take Pereira down and submit him that's the best case scenario for me I think yeah. that'd be absolutely great what, what do you think am I am I too unfair on Izzy 
I'm sort of in between you and Shaheen. Like, it's not my most anticipated because there is the aforementioned, well, Izzy hasn't been great. We haven't really seen a whole lot from Alex Pereira yet. Like, you know, I get the excitement. I get the the best case scenario of that fight is a terrific fight, right? We get a striking match. It's super technical, but also power and speed and all of these adjustments. And it's a, it's a wonderful fight. There is also the potential that it becomes a staring match and it becomes, you know, everybody's trying to maintain their range and keep their distance and land that one shot. And it's not great. I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. I do think it is an opportunity for Izzy to show some other pieces of his game that we know he's talked about and that we know he's worked on. But as far as like my most anticipated, I I can't get there. There's other things I'm looking forward to more than this fight, just because Pajara isn't as not it because he hasn't necessarily earned his way to this point because I still have so many questions about his MMA game and I can't just I can't just be hyped about it because they have a rivalry because they yeah you know have some history together the other part of that is that Izzy has already started to like downplay the rivalry and the like history of it of like great it was kickboxing six years ago this is MMA. What has he done compared to what I've done? And my response to that is, yeah, you're right, Izzy. Like, yeah. He probably is right. Like, yeah. I, I agree. Probably win the fight. <laughs> and so it, it's sort of instantly Israel diminishing the excitement that I had for his own fight, which, you know, maybe he then comes out and, and blasts him. At the worst case, I think we get another cool walkout. Hopefully we get a pretty cool fight. Stone Cold Steve Austin this time would be good, yeah. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, I, I want to jump to the middle way, or the, the women's divisions, from the middleweight division to the women's divisions. Here's a name. I'm going to chuck it out to you. And you know what? The, this might be an ongoing series in these state of the UFCs where I just chuck a name at you and you tell me about them. Marina Rodriguez is a name I want to chuck, chuck at you. Because <laughs> it, it, if there was fucking 10 women in front of me right now and Marina Rodriguez is one of them, I probably wouldn't be able to pick her out. And that's she's number three in the world. And I looked at her record. She has some good wins and over some good people and all like that. But she's just someone that I never remember. And I should. And she's someone that's uh, in the... And I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one here. So I'm, I think I'm speaking for, for probably most people. She's someone that we should know. And like... I would say that's more on the promotion than, than anything else, maybe, because well, fair enough if it's someone who's ranked number 11 or number 7 or whatever, but when this is a person who's possibly the next in line, right there, she's fighting Amanda Limas coming up, I believe, which is, you know, a big fight. Amanda Limas is ranked number 8 and a good fighter, and I you see her shaking her head, but you can tell about me about that. But, like, a fighter like that, when the people above her are Zhang Weili and Rose Nam Yunus, who, you know, we talked about Zhang Weili, she'd probably get the title shot, but maybe she shouldn't yet, and Rose Nam Yunus obviously just lost to Carlos Spurs in the worst fight to ever happen. Why are we Why are we hearing and talking more about Marina Rodriguez? The short answer is I don't know, and I have actively been, along with, I think, Drake Riggs, leading the Marina Rodriguez charge uh, when they announced the Amanda Lemos fight. I shook my head as I just did while you were talking about it because when you've won four straight fights and that includes a second round knockout win over Amanda Hibas and a dominant decision win over Mackenzie Dern and two main event 
you know, showcase dominant efforts last year and you're still not getting a title fight and you're still not getting, you know, one of those two or three top contenders. It feels like we're just making the road as long as possible. And look, it comes down to a whole bunch of things, right? If Marina Rodriguez spoke fluent English and could go out there and cut her own promos and had a ton to say, that probably changes things a little bit, right? It just, it's, it's the nature of this industry. There is still some entertainment speak to the consumers about it. And so when she can't do that and her last fight, unfortunately for her is a split decision that wasn't a super exciting fight. And there are those big names in front of her. And there are those exciting names ahead of her, like Zhang Weili, like Rose Namajunas, who's probably going to be very much still in that mix. They're going to get the opportunities. And Mackenzie Dern is going to get an opportunity, probably ahead of Marina Rodriguez, even though, kind of like we said with Jamal Hill, right? Paul Craig has beaten Jamal Hill, but Jamal Hill is going to get an opportunity before Paul Craig because Jamal Hill just has more of an it factor. Mackenzie Dern has more of an it factor than Marina Rodriguez. And regardless of the way that that fight went, Dern made some adjustments, went out, won her last fight, and is probably a little bit further ahead of her. I I would have loved to see Marina Rodriguez get a chance to fight Rose Namajunas or get a chance to fight Carlos Barza, who she's already fought. It's a split decision. It's a super close fight. I scored it for Rodriguez. I think if more people watched it now and scored it with their understanding of things that you have helped pioneer and, and teach people about. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. <laughs> they would probably score it for Marina Rodriguez, who was super active off her back in the third round while Carla Esparza hung out and did Carla Esparza things. But this is just the road that she's going to have to take, and it feels like she is that one person that's going to have to win six or seven fights in order to get that championship opportunity or at the very least, go out, beat Amanda Lamosh, and then get on the mic. And if the one thing you can say in English is, give me my fucking title shot, learn how to say, give me my fucking title shot. Yes, indeed. And you mentioned McKinsey Durner, and like McKinsey Durner, McKinsey Durner is fighting Yan Zhao Nan. If she wins that fight, we know she's getting a title shot. Like, that's just the way things work. Um, and they can say, you know, McKinsey Dern, who's ranked number four, beats Yan Zhao Nan. Uh, who's right number five, people will say that's a better win than Rodriguez beating uh, number eight in Lemos. You know? Even, Which, even though Rodriguez beat Yan Jonan before. Like, this yeah. is, it, it really is the way that it's going to work out. Like, it is, yeah. People bookmark this, mark this down when you heard it, because when Mackenzie Dern goes out and beats Yan Jonan, she will move ahead of Marina Rodriguez and be in that mix because I don't think Rose is coming back anytime soon. I don't think she's in a rush to compete. I think we're going to eventually get Carla and Zhang Weili. And so I think we're going to end up with a situation where Mackenzie Dern ends up being the next option that just kind of hangs out, waits to see when the, when the title fight happens, maybe serves as the backup for that fight, something along those lines, provided she... She gets the Zhaonan fight over and done with in relatively quick fashion, which, you know, sucks for Marina Rodriguez. And as somebody that has spoken to her a bunch and thinks very, very highly of her, I think she's progressed and shown great development over the course of her UFC career. She's just stuck in that unfortunate position of can't like 
it's that it's that thing that we talk about all the time when it comes to why the Patty Pimblets of the world and Sean O'Malley's of the world get the quicker, shorter line to success and fame and all of those things. When you can engage people and draw people in and make them remember you, it's always going to help. And she just doesn't have that despite having great performances. A hundred percent. One thing I'll ask you about this division is all right. And we're going to spend fucking nine hours in this podcast. So we better get quicker through the divisions here. But we started with this a little bit. We, we usually talk about the prospects coming through, but this division has been around long enough now, right? That we, we have veterans in this division who don't have the best records and we know they're never going to get our fight for a title again, but they're still kind of hanging around there. Now, we've had them with Overeem at heavyweight and with JDS at heavyweight. We obviously talk about that. And we've, you know, have it with Jim Miller and everyone else. But if you look at some people here, right, and a shout out again to Zane Simon, Angela Hill, the Sam Alvey of the, the women's divisions, 8 and 12 uh, in, in the Harzufa record. We have uh, Michelle Watterson Gomez, 6 and 6. We have Ashley Oder, 3 and 7. We have Jessica Pinay, 3 and 4. Um, there are a lot, and there's a few others. There. I wouldn't necessarily put Tisha Torres into that yet at 9 and 6. I think there's still, you know, Tisha always has a good win and her, she's a, a good fighter. But there seems to be a lot of those fighters. Kovalkiewicz, 6 and 7 as well. What to do? Spencer, what to do with those fighters? Like, do you keep them around and do you keep them just to uh, fill out that division or do you replace them as the UFC have kind of been doing over the last while? I think that's interesting. And I think this might be the first time in the women's divisions, and this is a great argument to have, you know, because it shows the progression of the women's division. Maybe the first time we've had this as an issue. So I think what you do is what's happening on Saturday in San Diego. So this will come out after that event. So on that fight card, we have Angela Hill versus Lupe Godinez. And so it feels like to me when that fight was booked and it's a catchweight fight and you can, you can come up with all kinds of reasons to argue against what I'm going to say, but it feels very much like a, Hey, Angela Hill, you got to win this fight. And if you don't, Lupe Godinez is going to move forward. She's going to get into the ranking and she's going to be one of those people that's going forward. That starts replacing some of these older names. We're seeing it a little bit, at flyweight and we'll get there next of course where that young group is coming up and some of the veteran contenders are starting to slide back down it's not happening as quick here i think you still keep the michelle watersons of the world around because she is a name she is six and six much like tisha i think she's still better than sort of at least half of this division but you start putting her in those fights. You start putting them in these positions where they have to beat the younger emerging talents. They have to beat, as Hill on, on Saturday, has to beat Lupe Godinez. Somebody's got to get in there and fight. I see that Sam Hughes and Piero Rodriguez are fighting. The winner of that should be facing somebody that has a little bit of history and a little bit of tenure in the division like Jessica Panay. You've got to give greater opportunities to the Vernajan Girobas of the of the division and things like that, rather than just these established names continuing to fight established names. Like that was the other part of the the Michelle Watterson fight recently was like it's not doing a lot to move to move any mountains to really change much in the division, and so we've got to do things that progress someone forward 
or give us a new viewpoint of someone else. And that's not happening yet. And it needs to start happening. Cause as you said, yeah, we're at a point in this division. Now it's been enough years that we have that next wave that can replace the old guard. It feels like women's flyweight then when you look at it, kind of has all those matches you just spoke about. Cause Firo is fighting Chukagan, right? If Firo wins that, she'll be next in line. We we kind of all know that. Viviana Arujo is fighting Alexa Grasso. I love that fight. I'm a big fan of Viviana Arujo. I watched you know, watching her last couple of fights, I just she's someone who sticks out to you, you know. I think that's a good fight Even a little bit further down You have Calvillo versus Nunes Which will have happened I think by the time This comes out The winner of that You know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to Nunes Even though she's the underdog People will know the answer about it. It's It just feels like And, and there aren't You know There's still uh, Lauren Murphy obviously there Who beat me She did a couple of weeks ago And uh, You know There are loads of other people Molly McCann Who's been on a great run And Aaron Blanchfield who I know you're a massive fan of and Casey O'Neill as well just feels like this was the division a few years ago where if you were to say what's the worst division in the UFC this was the easy answer it's not the case anymore I don't think and you know I remember when I had uh, funny enough Zayn on it he said that to me at the time I remember and that was probably like I don't know 18 months 2 years ago remember he was saying it like and we've said it multiple times I think since because it has been the truth this division is on the precipice of kind of building into a good division and you know what I think it actually is at the moment because, okay, you've Shashinko at the very top, which kind of makes everyone else look worse. But the fact that Tyler Santos almost beat her was a very close fight. I think it actually kind of draws her back to the pack a little bit. You know, I was the same with Limerick Hurland this year. We almost got beaten and people think they're as good as us, but we know it's still not. It's not true. But like Murphy, the great win, Chukagan. I think, look, I think the biggest fight in this division is Firo Chukagan. Firo needs to win that fight for this division. Because if she does, and let's say she finishes Chukagan, that is massive, I think. It's really mad. And people are saying, oh, probably listen to this and go, why are you talking about Ken Chukagan's not that good? Ken Chukagan is not a great fighter, but a hard fucking out. And I think a, st- a, a fighter in this division that kind of needs to be bypassed for the health of the division will know the division is good when two people in a row beat Kaelin Chukagan, if you want to put it that way. And that is that might sound disrespectful to Kaelin Chukagan. I think it's the exact opposite. My meaning of it is anyway, because I think she is a very, very good fighter. Um, but there are so many people. Like, you look at the, the like, couple of divisions we talked about. They don't, I don't think, most of those divisions don't have a Casey O'Neill. They don't have an Aaron Blanchfield. Even a Molly McCann, who... You know, is I don't think she will be. Maybe she will fight for a title, but I don't think she'll be winning the title. Obviously, definitely not when she um, Shevchenko is there anyway. But she's definitely shown improvements. Tracy Cortez has shown massive improvements. I have a kind of a soft spot in terms of her fighting, not her personality. For Andrea Lee, I think she's a good fighter. Um, obviously, Firo Arujo as well. Very, I, I'm a big fan of this division. I must say, I, I assume you are as well. Yeah, I absolutely adore this division. It is the perfect mix to me. It is. This feels the same way that the bantamweight feels for me, for the men. There is the very well-established, very difficult to beat set of veterans headed by Caitlin, Caitlin Chikagian, who, I mean, look, aesthetically, she's not the most enjoyable fighter to watch. They're not necessarily super exciting fights. But the last four ladies that have tried to get in there and beat her haven't been able to do it. And when you can't beat that person, they get to stay at the top of the division and become that that fighter that you have to beat in order to get there. Somebody will do it. And as you said, it will make it gives us a greater understanding 
of what it means if Manon Fierro goes out and beats her at UFC 280, right? It gives us that understanding that this is a super meaningful win. This is a very valuable win. And now she goes on to fight for the title. We have that young pack with Casey O'Neill, Aaron Blanchfield, Macy Barber, who's still developing, Miranda Maverick, who's still coming up. And there's even more behind that that still need to, you know, work out some of the, the holes in their game, but have potential. And then we have the Vivian Rujos, we have the Amanda Hibases that are in that in-between where we could very much see them go forward. Like I still think Amanda Hibas can go forward and have success if she stays at this division. I think she's back down at, at flyweight. But even someone like Natalia Silva, who debuted earlier this year and beat the hell out of Jasmine Jasudovicious, she's interesting to me as a fighter that's just, just now starting in this division, but because of the depth of it, because of the construction of it, is going to get the opportunity to progress along at a, at a sort of normal clip where she takes those fights that are constantly the right test, as opposed to you get two good wins or three good wins, and then you're in with number five, and it probably is a loss, and then you go all the way back and you beat two or three people that you should smash, and then you get number seven and you can't beat because of the depth of it, because the way it has been built out and the time that has been spent, we've gotten to a point where the division is is complete as opposed to being Valentina, a whole bunch of good fighters that have no shot and nothing else. It's now Valentina, a bunch of people that she's beat that are still really good, a couple of fighters that you're really interested in seeing her fight and a whole bunch of young fighters that are coming up, which is, which is all you can it's ask what you for want. from a division. Yeah, it's what you right? want. It's all you can ask for. A hundred percent. Let's talk about, obviously look, 145 in the women's division and 135, we can put them together. At 145, there are two fights coming up to be fair. Uh, Danielle Wolf, who is O and O in the UFC. Uh, and I think, is it one and O in our professional? I don't know. Something around that. It's one and O in her professional yeah. career. She got a win on contender series. series. There yeah. was a d- disputed win yeah, against, Tanisha Tennant, against Tanisha Tennant, who is now the Invicta Bantamweight champ. No. Shout out to Tanisha Tennant. She's fighting Norman DeMont, who I'm pretty sure retires after her last fight. Did she not? But hashtag MMA retirement. Um, I like Norma Demont to be honest. I think uh, you know. I think that's an interesting fight. Then uh, Zara Fairn is fighting Alin Perez, um, and then you have Ramona Pascal as well. Uh, Norma Demont is the only person in that division apart from Manny Nunes with a win. Everyone else is on to on to on on on. So uh, it's uh, that's interesting. But then at one thirty-five. There isn't much more, if we're being honest, I think. Like, you have Aspen Ladd fighting Sarah McMahon. Irene Aldana versus Macy Chison is the obvious one that sticks out coming up at UFC 279. If Aldana wins that, you'd have to think she's next in line. Although, you know, Ketlin Vieira is there as well. She won her last fight, didn't she? You always have the rematch against Juliana Pena. But it feels like the options for Amanda, for uh, Valentina Shashinko are stacking up and up and up. And the options for Amanda Nunes with Kayla Harrison not happening now. Looks like Shevchenko's not happening next. Looks like Cyborg won't be coming back to the UFC. And there's no one in either of those two divisions. It just feels like there's nothing really next to get excited about for Amanda Nunes. Or am I, am I being too harsh? Or am I forgetting someone? No, I mean, I think I don't think you're necessarily being too harsh. Um, I think the options are not the options within her division are not necessarily exciting. 
So Kaitlyn Vieira is probably next in line just based on merit and what she's done, right? But the last win is the Holly Holm fight that prompted our greater discussion of control time and work along the fence and all of those things and damage. The importance of damage really is what it came down to. I do think Irina Aldana, Macy Chasson is a fight that is important in terms of this division. I, I'm really interested to see if the US, so I know Juliana Pena came out very recently in the last couple of days doing the like, I think it's time for the trilogy. If you give me time to prepare for the stance switch, I don't think she can touch me. And it's like, well, you know, you had five rounds to prepare for the stance, to, to deal with the stance switch on the fly and you didn't deal with it very well. And she didn't switch stances all that much in the last three rounds and you didn't deal with that very well. So I don't know that we necessarily need an immediate rematch. If it's me and I've got the booking sheet, I probably do Ketlin Vieira and I have Juliana Pena fight the winner of Aldana and Chesson later in the year, probably on the same card as Ketlin Vieira and Amanda Nunes. But I also pick up the bat phone and give Valentina Shevchenko a call and just say, champ, what, a, what do we need here? What, what gets this done? Because we've already seen a fight this year, a trilogy fight this year, where one party was down 0-2 but we still wanted to see it. And I still want to see it because I think Shevchenko has ascended since their last fight. And I think Amanda Nunes, as good as she looked against Juliana Pena, it's maybe just a little bit, not quite at that apex she was when they fought the last time and it was razor close. And so that that's the one I want. That's the one I hope happens next. And I just, it'd be interesting to see what it's going to take to make that happen and whether all parties are interested. It, it took me a good like minute and a half there to be like, Max Holloway, Volkanovski, yeah, okay. <laughs> My brain right. is right. Yeah. Do you know what the weird thing is, well, though, about Nunes and Shevchenko? Um, I'm not sure that Shevchenko hasn't taken a couple of steps down too because she didn't look great in that Talia Santos fight, if we're, if we're being honest Agreed. here now. Yep. The same goes for her, as we said before, the Pena fight. Was it one off day? Was it like, oh, this next contender who she doesn't really see as too much of a challenge and she slips down? Now, I thought Amanda Nunes didn't look great in the rematch against Pena, um, but how much was that to do with uh, the nerves of the rematch against someone who beat you? We will find out in the next fight. We'll find out in the next fight for Shevchenko as well. Uh so it's interesting if they fight each other I wouldn't like to see them fight each other next I would like to both see them come back get a relatively easy matchup destroy them and then fight and I, I that's think what, that's what Harry said on, <laughs> on our show after UFC 277 yeah, as well get them is. both out there let them both smash somebody and reset the like oh they're this good and then you put them together as champion versus champion headline in somewhere big maybe international fight week next summer yeah, throw them in there against uh, Macy Barber and uh, Aspen Lad, and then <laughs> and then they haven't fight each other. That, 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 that's what we need to see. Right, let's move on to the. Um, we're going to go to the welterweight division next. Where I know we're kind of popping and toing and froing here. Um, 
Look, the welterweight division has many, many big fights. I actually only saw yesterday. I was going through the cards or this morning even. It feels like yesterday because I fell asleep between the last podcast and this one. Uh, Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady's fighting. What a fucking fight that is. Uh, we just had Jeff Neal putting himself into the conversation with a great win over Sinta Luka. Obviously, Hamzat Shemaev is headlining a pay-per-view against Nathan Diaz. That's going to mean a lot for Shemaev, I suppose, even though he should be fighting in bigger fights. Probably a step back. But then we have Kamaruddin Usman against Leon Edwards obviously for the title as well coming up at UFC 278 uh, very very soon so there's some there's some big fights there in that division uh, there was a report came out the other day that Colby uh, is uh, is badly injured or something like that won't be around for a while now maybe that's more to do with his court case that he's coming up maybe <laughs> than anything else trying to get money out of Masvidal which you wouldn't blame him for so you have Usman, Colby's next. Then you have Edwards, who's fighting Usman. Then you have Shemaev, who's probably putting himself uh, in the mix right there. Then you have Gilbert Burns, who's out of the mix for a while, obviously, because he, he just lost to uh, Usman. Then you have Mohamed, who is fighting number nine, Brady. Wonderboy's out of the mix. Luke is out of the mix. Masvidal's out of the mix. So all the lads in the mix at the top of that division, uh, Usman, Edwards, Shemaev, uh, Mohamed, and Brady... Let's throw Nate Diaz in there with those five. There's six fighters there fighting each other. And we're going to get three winners out of that. And we have, you know, let's say Shemaev is one. But we have two other lads who are putting themselves right in there. So, like, I assume Usman, let's assume Usman will win. That's a massive decision then. Is it going to be Shemaev? Is it going to be... Like, if Brady beats uh, Balan Muhammad, he's right up there. He's going to be ranked number four or number five after that. And that's going to be interesting. You almost have your built-in next two to three guys there in that division. And that's really exciting for such a great division uh, like Welterweight. And we look at other decisions where those divisions, even like Lightweight, which is very good. And it's very hard to get guys to fight each other. Like we tried to get fucking Mishachev versus Darius on for about two years and it couldn't fucking happen. Uh, more, you know, so much so that Mishachev just gets a... F- here, here, just have a title shot. You're never going to fight a contender. Just have the title shot and be done with it. But that's not happening here at Welterweight. And you know what? I'm fucking behind it. I'm looking forward to these fights. It's going to be fun. Yeah, so am I. And first and foremost, shout out to Bilal Muhammad for fighting backwards, right? It's the thing nobody wants to do. When he got the win over Vicente Luque, I wrote, look, nobody in Muhammad's camp is going to like hearing this, but the fight he should take is Sean Brady. Because if you go out and be the guy that stops that guy's ascent after everything you've done, because the people in front of you are otherwise obligated or not going to take the fight with you because they're not going to fight backwards. This is your best path to forwarding yourself to furthering your case. So shouts to Bilal for taking that fight. It is a, it is a nightmare fight. John Brady's a nightmare fight for anybody. Bilal Muhammad's a nightmare fight for a lot of people. Cannot wait to see it. The thing that you said about you maybe have the next two or three lined up. I think that's hundred percent true. The thing that really excites me even more about it is that we also have that next wave behind it where you can start matchmaking that next group of guys. So you can do something with Jeff Neal, with Gilbert Burns. Rachmanov. Ooh, Rachmanov. Shavkat Rachmanov with Michael Chiesa, who's going to want to get back in there at some point, with Li Jing Liang, with, you know, Jake Matthews is coming off a very good win. Um we can start figuring some of this stuff out. I think you and I both agree that if Hamza Chemaev goes out and dominates Nathan Diaz and gets a win, he's probably next in line. We're not going to wait and, and continue to make this dude wait 
so that we can build a more. It's not going to get bigger than where he is right now or coming off a win over Nathan Diaz. So he's probably next in line, which then sets those next couple fights that you mentioned as the like, figure out the winner of those two fight and then they're the next in line and we've got the next, you know, probably year figured out because Kamaru Usman fights twice a year, most times. So we've got the next at least nine months sorted out after these fights are all complete. Yeah. And that's all you can hope for. It gives you nine months. It gives you 12 months to build the rest of these things up, to figure out the rest of these divisions and keep them progressing. This is what healthy divisions look like. And this is the way they, they should be booked. And we should be looking at them. Now, there's also some names that, you know, aren't competing, that it would be great to have them back. Colby, Jorge Masvidal, guys like that. There's also some people that aren't ranked, that are are still coming and going to get some opportunities. So, I think the next 18 months, two years in this division is going to be really interesting. Yeah. And you not only have that, but you have like the next batch as well. Even after that, as you kind of alluded to there, like Brady and Shamaya five and on the UFC right now. Rachmanov four and all in the UFC right now. Ian Gary three and all in the UFC right now. Jack Dalla two and all. Michael Morales, who I was impressed with the last day, a lot of work still to do, 2-0 in the UFC right now. Brian Battle as well, who you have championed over the last while coming out of tough and saw his talent, 2-0 as well. Look, or 3-0 now, is he uh, after after the fight at the weekend, yeah. So there are, and you know, there's other lads on the way up as well who might have just signed or might maybe one fight in as well. There, There is a lot... And you know as well, one thing, I, I said it on the Q&A that I recorded, uh, obviously that will be out uh, a good few days before this. There is a place now at Welterweight, and we'll get to Lightweight next as well, where I think you're going to have to start matching these guys up. Like your Brian Battle called out Ian Gary, that fight's going to have to happen. Or some fight like that is going to have to happen because you there's too many guys there. There are too many guys there. There's fucking 50 guys in this division. Now, let, let me see how many is there. Zane actually has the number. 81. 81 fighters in this division. There's only 15 spots. These guys are going to have to fight for those spots. Uh, and I am a, an absolute advocate for the best fighting the best when they are the best. But we, there's too many fighters. The sport has progressed too much. And we're going to have to have these lads matched off against, matched off against each other. And you know what? That's going to be fun as shit. Let's move on to the lightweight division. Uh, the lightweight division, I, I don't know. It's a weird one, right? Because you have the kind of the, the champion regent, if you want to put it that way, uh, in, in Charles Oliveira. But he's not the champion. And I think people people need to stop saying that shit, honestly. He fucking missed weight. Get over it, like... Why is why is why is Charles Oliveira the first fighter in the history of the sport, where people are like, "Oh, he missed weight. Who gives a shit?" I've always been someone who's he missed weight. Who gives a shit? But maybe I'm the one, like, because uh, I'm a bit of a contrarian, as people know. When everyone else was saying, "I was like, what the fuck are you talking about?" So yeah. Anyway, he's fighting for the title again. He's fighting Makachev, Benil Dariush versus Matias Gamrat. What a fucking fight that is. Uh... Hakparas Bekdesi is on this. What else has been made? Leonardo Santos against Jared Gordon. You know, nothing. Nothing else, really. You know, nothing else being made there at the top of the divisions. Maybe, there, you know, it looks like Chandler and Barrier is going to happen. Maybe you have the inside scoop and that, that, that I don't. It looks like it's that. But, like, there seems to be so many fighters there. And this is the biggest problem with Lightweight. That 
lads just wait around like Justin Gaethje it feels like every loss he has he's just waiting for a title shot after <laughs> it's, it's madness like Tony Ferguson was on a 10 fight win streak and he didn't wait around for title shots as much as fucking Justin Gaethje does after a, a two fight fucking skate or whatever he's on it's, it just feels like madness in that division uh, we, at least we have the title shot at least we have that and if you look look if you look at the rankings there you have Oliveira, Poirier, Gaethje, Makachev, Chandler that is a weird top five there because, like, you can almost rule all of them out apart from the two lads fighting for a title for a title shot. It's and that's weird, and that is so weird. And you know, when you have Darius fighting Gamrat, Gamrat is ranked number nine. It just feels like if the winner of that fights for a title, you're bypassing loads of lads, lads ranked ahead. I don't know what's going to happen there. It, that the division just feels like it's all over the place, doesn't it? Even though there's massive quality and there's some very fun fighters and fights there. So the trouble is that Charles Oliveira's already beaten three of the next four guys behind him, and he's fighting the other one, right? And it, it's where your thing about Justin Gaethje, and to a lesser extent, the thing I feel about why the like I understand why Dustin Poirier is fighting Michael Chandler. It's an entertaining fight. It, big names, both of them feel like they're at a point where they just get to kind of pick the guy they fight, and they don't want to be fighting. The Matoish Gamrots of the world. They don't want to be fighting the Benil Dariushes of the world. They want to fight each other. Fine. But keep them the fuck out of the title picture. Just, just keep them away from it. Let them be separate prize fighters that are, you can make them the five-round co-main event of a pay-per-view. I don't think neither either of them necessarily want to be headlining a fight night show. Maybe you do an ABC event. If there is one or, or a big ESPN show, if you can get something cooked up, but like you have to, at this point, keep them away from the title picture because Charles Oliveira has beaten both of them. And if he beats Islam Mahashev, I don't need to see any of those rematches. What I need to see is something you talked about. I think probably two episodes of this back for us of the Justin Gaethje thing of, okay, go to the back of the line, fight your way back up. Or say I'm out of the title picture and pick and choose some entertaining fights, some interesting matchups, because there's just too many people in this division that need their opportunity that shouldn't have to go on the Tony Ferguson 10 fight, 12 fight and still not get an opportunity. Benil Dariush, Matoish Gamrot. I mean, I, I loved the fight, but disliked the fact that Gamrot and Armin Saryukin had to fight when they did. They should have been progressing forward together. Guys like Jalen Turner are going to need an opportunity at some point. The best thing that I've heard in the last couple of months, I talked to Rafael Fazeev before his fight with RDA, and he was like, look, I beat this guy. He's a former champ. I move into the top 10, and no one ahead of me is going to want to fight me. They're all going to have, you know, got an illness or there's a pain in their ass, and they don't want to fight because they know I'm dangerous, and they don't want to fight backwards. He's 100% correct. And there has to be some sort of incentive for these fighters to either do that and fight backwards or a way that you can just move them to the side. And I don't know whether that's we get caught up and we get fixed on the rankings and think, oh, well, number seven can't fight anybody that isn't, you know, ahead of him without and then get a title shot. Those guys aren't fighting them. Dustin Poirier ain't taking that fight. Mike Chandler ain't taking that fight. Justin Gaethje ain't taking that fight. Like, it's just not happening. So we have to figure out how we can continue to move him forward without having to go through this group of guys that has no interest in fighting him 
And then he ends up sitting on the sidelines for nine months. Like, I think, I say at welterweight because of the way we just spoke about it, Muhammad fighting backwards made sense, right? In this division, like a Fizayev fighting backwards, Fizayev should be fighting uh, Justin Gaethje next. Like, that's the start of fight. And maybe it's not, maybe Fizayev isn't the guy, but, uh, you know, Gamrat is fighting Dariush, and that is almost a best-case scenario we have here. Like, it's more likely, I would say, that Fizayev will end up fighting Jalen Turner or fighting Ismagulov, or fighting even maybe a Dan Hooker. And that right. just, what does that do? It just keeps you at number seven, and that's not great. Yeah, there are, Darius should be fighting hmm. Dustin Poirier or Mike Chandler. Yes. Gamrot should be fighting Justin Gaethje. If those guys want to hang around and still be in that, like, I just got to win one, and then I get my next shot, win one against somebody that, that hasn't been beaten by the champ, that is on the come up, that is is presenting some jeopardy, that is presenting some new challenges for you, and isn't a guy that's just going to go out there and swing with you. The weird thing is, right, when the UFC, and we saw it with uh, uh, Yair, who did Yair just fight? Uh, Ortega, wasn't it? That they, they said to Yair before that, even though he's coming off a loss, you fight this fight, you win it, and you're getting a title shot. That's what they need to do with fucking Poirier to get him to fight Fiziev, you know? And even if it's not true, light him. <laughs> As I was saying that, I was like, wait, this is just, this is very bootleg. Just here. horribly put yourself in a very bad contractual position where he's like, well, I had a guarantee. Yeah, but yeah, we need something. But like yeah, that. that's, I mean, can you incentivize it with money? Can you, you incentivize can. it with opportunity, like future opportunities? There's, there's got to be some way because, and look, I 100% understand Dustin Poirier being like, nah, I'm not fighting some of these dudes. Now, I think Poirier is probably going to do the journeyman through wherever I want to go, like have fists, will travel kind of thing going forward here. I think he's probably at a point of give me the biggest fight I can have rather than the championship opportunity because he doesn't want to fight the Fazeebs of the world. Fine. That takes him out of it, right? Maybe he goes and he fights Colby at some point. Maybe he goes, you know, has a couple of welterweight fights, has a couple of lightweight fights, and and does that sort of thing. The Conor McGregor kind of thing. The, you, you mentioned Great. Conor McGregor. Take him out of the rankings. Yeah. Let people stop thinking about him as the guy that somebody has to go through at lightweight, and then we'll be fine. That's McGregor is a massive problem in this division because you've either had the red panty night like Poirier a couple of times, or you want it. And that is a massive run because there's like two titles in the lightweight division. And McGregor, the fight is one, and in the title fight is the other. You don't really see this in any of the other divisions. Like Bantamweight, you know, Rob Font will fight whoever the fuck, you know? Uh, <laughs> Pedro so Munoz you, will fight whoever the fuck. But that doesn't so happen. So you mentioned McGregor. Where do you think he fits in this? Where does he factor into this? Like, I don't, I think you know certainly more than I would yeah. of, of what the timeline is. For a potential return, but where does he fit? It depends. I think. I, I think the most likely outcome is, uh, and this is people won't like hearing this, but I think the most likely outcome is Charles Oliveira wins the title and he fights McGregor. I think that's the most likely outcome. What I would do: Conor McGregor's ranked number twelve, Dan Hooker's ranked number thirteen. There we go. Conor McGregor versus Dan Hooker. Tony Ferguson's ranked number eleven. That even makes more sense. You could headline, you could headline a pay per view with that. If you're headlining a pay per view with Diaz and 
Uh, Shamaya, if you could headline a pay-per-view with that, let's go and do it. That fight makes sense, ranking-wise, the right. part of their career and everything. But are they going to do that? They're probably thinking, Conor McGregor said, I think he's two fights left in his UFC contract. Right. They're probably going to want to get as much out of those two fights as they possibly right. can because Conor McGregor's probably going to say, good luck. I probably have one or two boxing matches or maybe a promoted by a fight of my own outside of the UFC. Probably lose loads of money, let's be honest here. But still in all, he has he's so much value. Uh, it, it's it's massive. The, the McGregor is a massive problem. Look, it's the biggest story in, the, in MMA and in combat sports over the next probably two years, which is a weird thing to say, considering people, people probably listen to this and go, what are you talking about? Conor McGregor's washed or whatever. But he's not washed in terms of a draw. You know, and if he could come back and win one fight, especially, it's fucking massive. And we, we, I don't know, we'll see where it goes. I, I, look, I think McGregor will be back early next year. I think he could have been back at the end of this year. Uh, but I, I think, and if, you know, a lot of people have, uh, the documentary just came up on Netflix and a lot of people have been watching it and kind of, st- you know, talking about it and asking questions about it. And I, I, it kind of, it's stuck in my head that McGregor's always rushed his way back from injuries and have caused more injuries and things like that. I feel like he won't rush his way back from this one. And also like he's acting now and he kind of say he put out like a thanks for the cheese tweet the other day, which is it a thanks for the cheese tweet? I'm not too sure. Um, and also like he had one training session in SPG, he put it up everywhere. It was, a, and I kind of like, oh, cool, McGregor's back in the gym. And then literally the next day, he was in the pizza with like 30 people for his birthday. It's like, well, okay, maybe he's not, <laughs> you know? So uh, I don't know if McGregor wants it anymore, to be honest. Um, I do think he will come back, but it'll be it's massive to see what the next step is because it feels like he's just relaxed on the next step. Like McGregor was always a guy who knew the next step every single time like even when I interviewed him there a couple of months ago uh, he was kind of saying well is this fight happening is it not maybe I'll come here maybe I'll fight a welterweight you know he said I think like two days after after that interview when everyone was like oh he's going to come back a uh, lightweight then he kind of went back and probably had you know some food at the Black Forge and go oh fuck that I'm not you know <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not fighting a lightweight you just don't know McGregor you really really don't know But and that, look it's always been the case with McGregor because of he's had so many options he's always had three, four, five, six options. He still has loads of options now, but the options are different. The options are like the fight, not the fight. The options are 10 different fights. He could fight for... Look, McGregor can walk back into a title fight at lightweight or welterweight right now. We all know it. We might like it, but we all know it. But he also might never walk back again, or he might, you know, there's talks of the Floyd Mayweather fight happening again in, about, in boxing happening again. You never know what's going to happen, McGregor. Forget, let, there's one thing I want to talk about, though, before we move on from Lightweight, and, you know, forget about McGregor for a second. Paddy Pimblett and T-Rex, my guy, Terrence McKinney. From my point of view, right, these are the polar opposites in terms of, like, and they're not prospects either. I must say, Paddy Pimblett especially is not a fucking prospect. Paddy Pimblett is in his prime right now. This guy's been fighting for a fucking decade. He's reached the pinnacle of... um regional MMA about five years ago. This guy is not like a prospect. Terrence McKinney, I think he has 17 fights. I was looking at his thing today. He's like a prospect more than Paddy Pimblett is. This fight makes sense, I think. I don't think in a million years it's going to happen, <laughs> but I think it should right. happen. What, yeah. what are your, what's your take on both of these guys? Yeah. Exactly what you said is, is exactly how I feel about it. It is the proper test for Paddy Pimblett. 
it is the proper kind of matchup for him at this point with three wins in the UFC and ascending star and all of those things. I loved the call out. I think it's the right idea for Terrence McKinney because it's not trying to, he's not trying to bite off too much. Like maybe with that Drew Dober fight on short notice, it moves one of them forward. Like from all standpoints, just separating some of the like business stuff that we're going to talk about here in a second. It is the right fight. But then the business part comes in and Patty Pimblet wants no part of this. Like, I don't I don't think Patty Pimblet wants any part I, of this. I don't I, I think Patty would take the fight. I, I, I think Patty believes in himself, honestly. I, I don't think it's Patty matchmaking this way. I I like I think if yeah, they gave okay, Patty Pimblet a catch if tomorrow he'd take the fight. It's the Some, UFC. Somebody around Patty Pimblet or the UFC is like, nah, we can we can find something else. Let me let me see here on, on Zane's terrific list. Who else is in that three fight range that Eric Gonzalez? <laughs> like, who is there that he can fight? Can it's getting tougher. A, can we do an all Europe? Can we do an all an all England matchup and and have him fight Jai Herbert? Oh, if you want him to lose, maybe yeah. You know, can we do a guy like Joe Selecki? That's Ford the fight in the UFC. It. Yeah, like that's sort of who I. The guy that I've constantly thrown out is Jamie Malarkey who I think is just the right kind of yeah. sandpaper and grit and grime, but not, you know, going to super athlete you, going to really beat you, but is a tough bastard. That's the kind of fight I think he would chase more or that people around him would be like, let's do that as opposed to the hyper-athletic guy that got hit once and was like, ah, well, fuck it. I'm going to put you on the ground and finish you. That's what I think happens. Yeah, you're and you're probably right, but it'd be interesting. I like Ian said it, and it's got really got me thinking uh, that you can't match Paddy Pimble like that anymore. And my first thought was to disagree and think they're going to keep continuing to match Paddy Pimble like that. But the UFC are not like Bellator, and with all due respect to Bellator, they won't keep MVP matchmaking him forever. No, there will be a stage, but has that been reached yet? One more. I one think more. they'll get one more. I do too. I think they'll probably get two or three more <laughs> if I'm being honest. And they should because uh, I, I don't think it'll end well when I, they don't. I think they get him one more. And then after that, it's it's probably like, what is it? It's it's August now. So I think they try to get him. If they don't try to get him one more before the year is out. So I was thinking they look at either headlining or co-main in London in March. Yeah. Maybe that's the next fight. Patty needs, you know, some time to... To bulk up and then bulk down <laughs> before he's, training camps. He's on his bulking so, phase is already. He's in his bulking there, phase. Right? Yeah, he's so he's done. got it's it's eight months till the next London fight. Does he get two in in eight months? Maybe not. You know, yeah. can he can he do a November and then a March? Because if he can, if he wins November and it's you know a moderate little step up. Then he headlines in London and it's the first real big test. Yeah. It's the first time where we, and like, look, that could end up being a real sad fucking night. If Patty comes out and has the walkout and does the hands and everybody's excited. And then somebody goes in and slaps the piss out of him. You know, things end on a, on a real sour note, (laughs) but that's kind of what needs to happen. Right. Is we need to see one more. Then you give him that big, all right, he's four and oh, and he's, He's looking like a thing and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of fan interest and he's got a lot of people behind him. Let's give him the spotlight. And then it's also a, a real test that he needs. Indeed. Yeah, it's interesting because like 
People talked about McGregor getting easy matchups the whole way up, which was bullshit at the time uh, and continues to be bullshit. But like Paddy is getting really easy matchups and that's going to have to change at some stage. It'll be interesting. It's just I, I, I like I hate saying that because I want I hope Paddy Bimbo becomes the UFC champion. I really do. It'd be good for me. It'd be good for you. It'd be good for everyone listening to this. But I also can't deny reality of what my eyes have shown me over the last few years. And uh, yeah, we'll be interested. Anyway, let's uh, let's move yeah. on to uh, 145. There's nothing happening at 145. I'm just looking, looking. There's no one fighting anyone. Fucking Andre Feely versus uh, Land of Anatta. That's a fun fight. I'm definitely looking forward to that. No, no doubt about it. Dinji Gitchikaje versus Yusuf is the only one that's anywhere near the top of the division. Pat Sabatini versus Damon Jackson. That's a good fight as well. I'm looking forward to that. But there's no, there's no f- top top fight happening there now we obviously we had a Volkanovski just fighting against Holloway we just had the, the aforementioned fight between uh, Ortega and Rodriguez or Rodriguez even um, we had Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett yeah so what happens in the division Spencer I'm not because I'm really not sure I, I probably thought about this a couple of weeks ago and I've kind of forgotten what, I, what my thoughts were I've kind of moved on from this division so quickly yeah, it's a weird spot, right? Volk's hurt. He's got the busted up thumb. There was the little talk for for a hot minute about an interim title. That seems to have, have cooled and gone away. You know, we don't... Max is going to have some time off, obviously, following that last fight. It's it's a weird spot right now. It, it just is. That's, that's the only way because the, the tough part, and God, I feel miserable for him is Arnold Allen. Like, he fights in March. He has a brilliant performance. And here it is now, August. And they're like, who who is signing up to fight this kid? I know who's going to find him. I know exactly who's going to fight him. I mean, Calvin Cater. No, it? Max Holloway. That's the fight that's going to happen. It's going to be Max Holloway versus Aaron Allen. And Max Holloway wow. is going to take up the Robert Whitaker role. And he's going <laughs> yeah. to probably beat Arnold Allen, even though I have great respect for Arnold Allen. I, I think Volkanovski is a better matchup for Allen, oddly enough, than Max Holloway is. Uh, it's just it's just so weird. Like, Arnold Allen is on such a great run. Everyone else above him has things you can kind of take away from him. Max, obvious. Yair, obvious. Brian Ortega, obvious. Josh Emmett, not so much, but still a guy who's been around for a long time and I think can wait an extra step longer than than Cater. If Volkanovski is going to be out, just match him up. Just match up Josh Emmett and Arnold Allen. Let the cards fall where they may and let one of the two of them fight for the title because they're the two guys yeah. who deserve it. Like the worst right. thing Arnold Allen ever did was call out fucking uh, Calvin Cater. And I like Calvin Cater. I think he won his last fight. I think he was robbed, genuinely. I don't think there's that many robberies. But God almighty, it's, it's this division again where like, it's just, there's too many of it's those the, guys it's at the, the top. It's the thing you said a little while yeah. ago of, of the same, the same, same all the time. And it doesn't help that a couple of them are genuinely hurt now and out of the way. And Dan Hooker came back for one in March and we don't know what he's doing in the division now. And, you know, we had a great fight in Shane Burgos and, and Charles Rodin a couple of weeks ago as well in Long Island. Burgos is a guy that's in that mix and in that sort of come up. We've got Mavsari Vloyev. We've got Bryce Mitchell, who should be back at some point, if not the end of the year, then early next year. And we have Giga and, and Sadiq Yusuf, as you said. But this is sort of what we talked about with heavyweight, what we've talked about with a few of these divisions. When the top end of things isn't moving or hits that stagnation point, 
it screws everything else up because there's no one for Arnold Allen to fight. There's no one for Ivloyev or Mitchell to fight that makes sense, right? They need they need a Bilal Muhammad coming back and saying, fine, give me that guy. I think Max is very much of that mindset. If if this is where he's staying, that he would be the guy that says, yep, kind of takes the Joseph Benavidez role from several, several years ago at Flyweight, right? Fine, I've lost to the champion. I'm not getting another shot, but give me give me whoever it is. Make them get through me. You said the Robert Whitaker thing. I think that's correct. But I don't necessarily, like, I don't want to see that. I would rather see Max go up to lightweight, make a real move to lightweight, put on the, take the time, put on the weight, go up there and, and start the next phase and see what's there. I don't know that it's any better for him up there, but at least it creates some openings at featherweight where we've got a group of fighters that, that need openings, that need opportunities. Go to John Jones, go to that Balkan fans. <laughs> I agree with you. I think 155 is a job for him. The problem as well with featherweight, right, is that a generation of contenders are getting kind of bypassed here again. And the next generations are, are already building up. Like you mentioned, Ivlaev and uh, Mitchell, you know, both five and all, Ryan Hall, five and one. Uh, even you know, even guys on the way up like uh, like Billy, uh, what's what's his name? My, his name uh, escapes me at the moment. Uh, Billy Boyd, too. Uh, yeah, Billy. Who am I? Pat Sabatini. I mean, Pat sorry, Sabatini so that that's you the guy I'm thinking. Right? Yeah, yeah, fighting yeah. Damon Jackson. He's four zero in the UFC. If he goes out and beats Damon Jackson and gets the, and yeah. Pat Sabatini's thirty one years old. He's not a kid, right? He fought in CFFC for a number of years. Had a hard road to get to the UFC. Dealt with a miserable injury. If you want to see a guy's arm. Make an, make an L, go watch Pat Sabatini's fight when he lost the title in, in CFFC. But he's a guy, like you're saying, that there's not a ton of, like, 31 is an old, old, but it's also like he can't be fucking around and having to fight six more times before he gets into the mix. Like, nobody should have to go nine, ten fights yeah. before they're getting these opportunities. And we're seeing that with Arnie. We're seeing that to a lesser extent a little bit with Ivloyev, with Mitchell. Like, it's got to be go time in these divisions. There are so many guys like that as well. Like you, Leron Murphy, I think that guy is massively talented as well. But the problem is, like, you get Arnold Allen's 9 0 in the division. He still hasn't got, gotten his opportunity. It's like, will that opportunity ever even come? It feels like Rodriguez has fought once in about the last five years and he's gotten maybe two. You know, it's it's just uh, it's just such a weird division and it's a great division and the talent is so good, but it's been just held back for so long that it's... De- and when I say a generation, people are probably thinking, what are you talking about, a generation of fighters? A generation of a fighter is almost like three to four years of that guy. It's very, very small. Like, you only have a tiny window of an opportunity to fight at the very top of, uh, you, you know, your ability. You look, say, even like a guy like um, um, like Josh Emmett, he's kind of had two now. He went away, did he get injured? He was out for a while and he's coming back. But a guy, say like a Chad Mendes, he was there, he had his couple of title fights and he went away. There's, there's lads like that who have, who... Chad Mendes is almost lucky to get those opportunities. You know, there was there's lads who've come and gone from the UFC whose names you'll probably forget, who never got those opportunities when they should have gotten them. And that's a sad thing to see. Like at least, you know, when you look at other divisions, or even like I say, someone like Italia Santos, she got there, she got her opportunity. Okay, it didn't go well for her, but they got that opportunity. That's just not happening at one forty five. It feels like, and you can't say, oh well, they haven't earned it. There, there are guys who are there and absolutely have it. Like Aaron Dallin has earned it. 
He has absolutely earned it. Josh Emmett at this stage has earned it. And they should be getting it. If it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. But, you know, anyway. Kelvin Cater is going to be one of those guys that yes. doesn't ever fight for a UFC title. And it's going to be a goddamn shame. Because he's, you know, he lost to Max. Fine. Fair. Lost to Max. If that's the thing that keeps you, and I agree with you that he beat Josh Emmett and got hosed in that fight, like... I can see a way to 3-2 Emmett, but not the way that we actually got there with Chris Lee's terrible scorecard. But that's a whole other podcast. But he's a guy that's going to, that probably is not going to get his shot because he's a little bit older now. The damage is starting to pile up. He took a year off after the max fight. So that's some opportunities to get back. And now he's got the Emmett fight that now he's on a two fight losing streak. You can't just hustle him in there with a top five guy again and say, you win this one. I mean, you can because the UFC can do whatever the hell they please. And that seems to be what happens with, yeah, you're Rodriguez losing to Max Holloway. And if you beat Brian Ortega, you get a title shot. But yeah, you're you're 100% right that generations in in life terms are long periods. In fighting terms, it's about five to seven years. And we've got the next the next pack coming in a bunch of these divisions. And it means that the current pack is going to, yeah, going to be a few guys in there that get screwed, <laughs> and your generation could be eaten into by the next generation that 100%, comes up, passing you right? out. So it's very you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, like those light heavyweights when John Jones was coming up, and he was 22 and 23, we're like, nah, we don't have to worry about. Wait a minute, he did what? Yeah, he's, he's fighting for what now? Our, yeah, let, he, he let, beat who? <laughs> oh, great. You're Vicente Luca. You know, you're Vicente Luca, and you're right. like, ah, I won a few fights in a row. I'm going to fight for title. And then Shamayev comes along and is like, well, I'm never, ever going to beat that yeah. guy. <laughs> you know, I'm fucked. So there you go. Right. Uh, that can't happen. <laughs> Let's talk about 135. Um, by the time, obviously, for, for patrons, they'll all, they won't know the results because if they're listening to this, I think this will come out on Saturday. But for everyone else, they will have heard the result of Dominic Cruz, Marlon Vera. Whoever wins that or who has won that will be in the mix. But there are some other, obviously, you know, big fights coming up in that division as well. Song Yedong is fighting Corey Sandhagen. Uh, obviously, we have the title shot, uh, TJ Dillashaw against uh Algemin Sterling at UFC 280 with Cub Swanson coming down, which is interesting to uh, to fight against Jonathan Martinez. Could he be in that uh, Misha Tate, Luke Rockhold range there? Or maybe you're in the, although you have Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo there as well, so probably not for for being honest. But Yano O'Malley as well is happening in this division, uh, which is oh my lord Jesus, save me from that one. There are some very very good fights in this division. There are some very good, you know, up-and-coming prospects as well. Umar Nurmagomedov, obviously, at 3-0 is probably the standout one. Always a shout-out to my guy, Nate Manis, who they fought last time, didn't they? If I'm not, am I going to matter? They, they didn't. I still think he's good. You know, you have Adrian Yanez, I know you're a big fan of. He's 5-0. Tony Gravely, 4-2, you know, coming off a couple of wins as well. Saeed Nurmagomedov as well. Jack Shore, okay, he lost last time out, but I still think he is rising. You know, you have the likes of Casey Kenny, Julio Arce, you don't know, maybe one of them guys will uh, will emerge as well but the the, the mellow at the top of this division is fun as shit right now isn't it Dan O'Malley and fight I'm not sure TJ Dillashaw getting the title fight is the right way to do it jo- who's Jose-, Jose Aldo is fighting Josh Philly as well coming up here very soon isn't he so there's there's lots to sink our teeth into here Spencer if there was ever any room for debating that this is the best, most exciting, most competitive division in the UFC and therefore the sport, it is no longer available. You look at this lineup, you look at this slate, 
And I mean, some of these aren't aren't even main events, right? Like O'Malley Yan isn't a main event and good Lord, give me all of it. Um, this this weekend for the patrons and, and this past weekend for the non-patrons, become patrons, you cheap bastards. It's worth the Do five it. quid, get on it. <laughs> Marlon Vera, Dominic Cruz, like you have, it's sort of what we talked about at Women's Flyweight. You have the established set of contenders, which is the Dillashaws, the Corey Sandhagens, the Piotr Jans. You have the veteran set. Marlon Vera very much deserves to be included in there. You have the veteran set of Cruz and Aldo, and we'll see what, if anything, Cubs Wanton brings to that group. You can throw Rob Font in there, not as old, but tenured in the division. And then you've got the emerging set with the Sean O'Malley's and the Song Yadongs. And, you know, you get further down Marab Dvalishvili, you get further down and you get the Ricky Simones, you get Adrian Yanez. I mean, Cousin Umar is coming. Even further down than that, you've got a guy like Sadikub Kakramanov, who's 2-0 and in the UFC with a couple good finishes. You've got, you know, Harry's guy, Javid Basharat, who's coming off a great performance in his debut. Like, this division is just packed to the gills with exciting fights, with exciting opportunities. It feels like it is very much in that state of turning itself over where we're getting the right matchups for that too, right? Dom Cruz is getting his shot. He's always a guy that talks about, I should still be in the title picture. I should all of these different things. Cool. Go beat Marlon Vera. That's it, right? Same same with Jose Aldo. You think you should get another shot? Cool. Fight the machine. He'll Stop beat 97 takedown attempts. Just go. And if you do, great. We'll put you in there. Sean O'Malley. You think you're still undefeated and the first guy to finish Pedro Munoz, which is one of the dumbest things Sean O'Malley has tweeted, which is saying something because Sean O'Malley puts a lot of dumb shit out there. Cool. Here's Piotr Jan. Respect deal, that though. Taking that Deal fight. with him. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm very interested. I would love to have that conversation with Sean of like, how did you go from I'm not fighting any of these dudes until I'm paid like these dudes to fighting this murderer two fights later? Like, I appreciate you taking it, but yeah, that's, and like Song Yudong, Corey Sandhagen, give me all of that. Let's see if Song, Song Yudong is ready to be a top five guy. He could be. And if he is, good Lord, folks, are you ever going to get a lot of jokes out of Sean Sheehan? And uh, the, the dick jokes are, the dick jokes are coming. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I was it's so impressed that when you said that fight, you didn't make one. I was totally yeah, shocked no, I, I keep i keep him for to get on the broadcast and, and yeah, i keep my best in the back pocket uh, let's let's talk about flyweight uh there's jane simon says there's 39 fighters in flyweight at the moment by the time this comes out on sunday there will be two matches made because tyson am is fighting Ode osborne coming up this weekend we also have amir albazi against francisco uh, figueredo and then we have david lacereda uh, who is 0-2 in Zufa against Victor Altaramariano, who's 0-1 in Zufa. Uh, now, that is in reflection maybe this division, because this division has some very good fighters and puts on fantastic fights, but it's also kind of left to rot a lot of the time, you know, and that's a pity. But 
to be fair, we just did have Kai Cara France fighting uh, against Brandon Moreno for the interim title. We do have the champion in Davidson Figueiredo kind of sitting out, waiting to see what's going to happen next. We just had Matt Schnell fight. We just had Alex Pereira fight against Pantoja, obviously. Um, it's interesting in this division because there are... This, this is one of my favourite divisions in terms of the, the fights that they put out and in terms of... You you know you, you I know you remember you said it before you try any uh, you throw the top ten into a hat and you pick out five fights and they're probably going to be good fights that that to me is the one twenty five pound division here um, it looks like Figueiredo versus Moreno is going to happen next Dean what do you do with Pantoja it looks like he wants to sit out or be the the backup fighter which I I don't have massive problem with there uh, there. Uh, after that, I don't know what you do. Do you do Askarov versus Kai Kara fans? I think that probably makes a little bit of sense. Askarov lost recently, didn't he? Didn't know who beat Askarov. Uh, it was Kai Kara fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that makes a, a little bit of sense there. Maybe you do Kai Kara fans against Perez, who who just lost, and Chanel is on his way up there as well. So there are lots of good fights, but this the problem with this division, right? These lads almost fight each other too much. You know, whereas lightweight, they're always fighting each other. They're not fighting each other. Right. We never see it happening. Right. These lads are fighting each other every fucking second week. It feels like so much so that we have no fights coming up because they just all fought each other. And they're probably all going to have to fight each other again just in kind of a different order. We put them all back into the hat, put yeah. them out again in a different order. But I don't really have a problem with that. It's fun, but it also... You don't really have anyone there at the moment, do you? Unlike that four, five, six fight win streak because there's such a kind of a, a madness at the top of that division. Well, and we're at a different point in the in the division than when they fought each other the first time, right? So the first time a lot of these fights happened was in the tail end of, of Demetrius Johnson. The Henry Cejudo had the belt. And then we have the year where Davison Figueredo and Joseph Benavidez fought a couple times for the vacant title. And that's when a few of these fights happened. So, yeah, give me all of Brandon Royville and Kai Kara France again. Yes, please. Pantoja wants to sit out and be next in line. Fine. I think you could also do, you know, if Figueredo's out for a long time, then we can we can do Pantoja and Brandon Moreno that was supposed to happen. Put the interim belt on the line. I don't I don't care. At this point, I just want to see the fights. But yeah, there's the trouble is it feels like it gets booked in fits and starts, right? We'll have two months where there's a lot of action, and then four months where there's not much going on. And it feels like you lose a couple people in the mix. Like Matias Nikolaou has been out now for a little bit of time. Askar Askarov hasn't fought since that fight in March. And yet we've already got Mohamed Mokayev booked again. He's going to face Malcolm Gordon later this this fall. Um, sorry, this autumn. Good man. Um, Fair pleasure. It's, it's I only you. Ian I give out that because he's Irish. I don't mind like <laughs> a, a Yankster or Canadian saying it. But, like, the other Irish. trouble with it too is like you've got a guy like Manel Cape who is super exciting, really want to see what happens. And is suspended. Is he? Is he what get suspended do? again? I yeah, he, he, he got a suspension. He was supposed to fight somebody and he had a small little trace element of something and got suspended. So I think he's on probably, he's probably two or three months into six months. So he'll be back before the end of the year kind of thing. But it's just one of those divisions like David Dvorak fought Nikolau earlier in the year. And now neither of them have been booked again, right? Like, we get all the fights and then it feels like it takes too long to get the next set made. Maybe that's because as you said, a lot of them have fought each other or they don't want to fight backwards or whatever the case may be. But 
it's time to get booking them again and, and get moving forward. Indy, it feels a little bit as well like Makayev is kind of the lad just waiting. You know, he's waiting for a way. He'll fight now in a few weeks again. He'll probably fight, fight twice before Christmas. Then he'll probably fight twice before March. He will be like 14 and or whatever he will be in his career then. And then everyone better be waiting. <laughs> you know, because he, he just feels green. He still feels like there's a lot of improvements to make in him. But he's such a dominating uh, dynamo as well which is a massive thing in that division you can't be waiting around you know you can't be waiting around in that division and it feels like he doesn't and he's only going to get better and better and it's very interesting okay yeah this mm-hmm. this is an opportunity against Malcolm Gordon Malcolm Gordon it's the right yeah. fight to make it's another it's another veteran guy that has been in there a lot he's coming off that fight with Charles Johnson where he wasn't impressed he wasn't particularly happy but it was a good learning moment get 15 minutes in there get some work in figure out the things you've got to work on. I would have liked a little bit more time before this comeback to sort of work on some of the stuff, but similar to what we were saying with Patty a little bit, a little bit, I think it's get him, get him enough fights, get him enough buzz so that when we get back to London in March, he's on the main card. Indeed. Before we end this, there's one thing I want to do and I'll do my part first and then you can, you can do yours. I'll give you a bit of time to think. One person we haven't mentioned in this yet who you want to, to kind of shine a light on. The guy I'm going to go for uh, is Kao Bahalio. I really like this guy. I think he's a great striker. I think he's a great wrestler. Very good jiu-jitsu and all of that as well. He's at middleweight as well, which is, you know, the best division in the UFC. No, not quite. But he can fight a light heavyweight too. Uh, I just think, like, I'm looking at the division at the moment. He's not ranked there. And I think he will be very, very quickly. I really like this guy. I think he's one of the best up-and-coming prospects in the UFC. I think he can run through that division. So he's definitely one guy we haven't mentioned here that I would lef- definitely like to give a shout-out. There's probably loads of more guys as well who we haven't mentioned. No, we did, didn't dive madly into Ian Gary. We've done that the last time. We will do that going forward again. He doesn't have a fight booked at the moment. You know, he's moved to a 3-0 in the UFC uh, and, and everything like that as well. But, yeah, Cabajalio is definitely a guy that... I think uh, people need to, to keep an eye on. Uh, who's uh, who's your guy? So I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give you a couple. Okay. You mentioned one of them very, very briefly, and that's, Michael, and that's Michael Morales. Yes, I like him. Uh, looked phenomenal last time out again. Had to go through a little bit of things. Had to had to work through a little bit of a tough fight against a short-notice opponent, Adam Fugit, but got the victory. 23 years old. Looks like the real deal. Lightweight, Demir Shmugulov. We didn't talk about him. He's ranked in the top 15. He's 5-0 and in the UFC. He is a polished complete package fighter that has got some good wins already please pay attention he is he to me is the next sort of in that gamrot saryukin range of you weren't paying attention and then all of a sudden he beat a guy that you really liked and then also in that division or or maybe featherweight depending where he goes yeah he was the other one like just unbelievable figure out what you're doing kid and get back because you're four and oh you're 24 Jiu-jitsu black belt hits like a ton of bricks, like all all of the interest in Ilya Tapuria. If anybody is selling stock in Ilya Tapuria, please call me. Please get in my DMs. I would like to buy it all. Another one that they need to keep away from Paddy Pimblett at all costs. Like, yes. Yeah, I think there's probably ways to win for Paddy Pimblett against Terrence McKinney. I would think Terrence McKinney yes. should probably maybe minus four or five hundred in that. Tipuria be a minus fucking four thousand in that. <laughs> that, is that is a horrendous matchup for Paddy Pimblett. But anyway, uh, 
uh, God, it's a fight I'd like to see, if, I, if I'm being honest, but there are many fights I'd like to see, and many of whom we discussed. We nearly went two hours there, and why not? We will do this again. Before, look, we'll, we'll do it before Christmas anyway, maybe twice before Christmas, but that was uh, very, very special fun spencer tell everyone they can find you because i know after listening to this they, they will want to find you tell them about your stuff on ufc.com your twitter all of that your sub stack let us know so i contribute to the ufc.com website every week a bunch of different stuff fight by fight preview fighters on the rise a bunch of different interviews uh pay-per-view weeks we do the coach conversation where i sit down with a couple of two or three coaches and talk about the championship fights that are on the card Follow everything on the Substack, spencerkite.substack.com. Easiest way to get everything that I put out is just to follow me on Twitter, at spencerkite. I also obviously contribute to the Severe MMA preview show, hanging out with Shawnee and Ian and, and Harry, and it is good times. Go subscribe to their Patreon. Seriously, it's worth the five quid. I say it on my show all the time. Like, Jesus, it's the best thing going, guys. Not just because I'm on here every once in a while. Every week, loads of loads of entertainment, loads of quality content covering all angles of things. Shawnee, you guys do an absolutely phenomenal job, and I'm always honored to be a part of a small part of the program. I appreciate you, and there's a reason I keep bringing you on this as well, because no one knows this UFC roster better than you, and you know it 10 times better than me as well, so it's always handy to fall back uh, on you as well. And I'm like, oh, who did this lad fight? Who's he again? And you, you remind me, and that's absolutely fantastic. We need people like you in the sport and I'm, I'm glad to have you on here and on the, the preview show as well all the time thank you Spencer please follow him please go and subscribe to that sub stack as well it's brilliant you can pay for it for the year as well I, I remember I got it there like fucking two months ago and I've just forgotten about it so our one will be changing it will be that soon I promise but not quite yet we have something coming up we're waiting for that but sign up for it by a monthly gig you know uh, but Spencer's you can pay like that and that's absolutely brilliant please do on his Substack. and as I said you can find that over on his Twitter right we will leave it there for Spencer I'm Sean Sheehan go to manscaped.com use the promo code severe for 20% off and free shipping severemeh.com at severemehpod at Sean Sheehan at his Spencer Kite we'll see you all next time.